and welcome to episode 51 of Geeking with Destination Venus. Reggie here again with another hour of geeky news, views, opinions, facts, figures and general, you know, stuff. As is perhaps becoming a little bit traditional, there is an element of Disney Plus fanboying going to go on in this episode. And since I really don't want to give everybody the impression that Disney Plus is all I watch and that we are in some way in the pay of the mouse. I'm going to get it over with right at the start. You may want to step back from me speakers a little bit. There's going to be excitement. Oh my word, have you seen the She-Hulk trailer? I told you there was going to be excitement. You were warned. And seriously, have you seen it? If you haven't, what have you been doing? Uh, it's in the show notes. Uh, go to www.destinationvenus.co.uk to check it out. Or, you know, go to YouTube. Apparently they have it. I cannot tell you how excited I am. I am a huge fan of She-Hulk. I've been a huge fan of She-Hulk since I first came across the character in probably the mid-80s. It would have been in a comic I bought from the newsagents that was next door to the sports shop where I had my first Saturday job. And I will be honest, 14-year-old me would probably not have bought a copy of She-Hulk. In fact, it might not even have been her own book. She might have been guesting in something. But anyway, probably wouldn't have bought it if there'd been any other choice. But in the mid-80s, before shops like Destination Venus and OK Comics and places like that existed, your only real chance to get American comics was from a random newsagent. Some newsagents carried them. Most didn't. The ones that did were completely unreliable. You might pick up Avengers 152 one week and you might not see a copy of the Avengers again until Avengers 170 something. And you just kind of had to fill in the blanks. If you read part one of the story, there was no guarantee you were going to get to read part two. And listen to me now, an old man going on about what it was like in the old days. So, yeah, back to She-Hulk. Now, been a fan of She-Hulk since then because the idea intrigued me. Back when I first came across She-Hulk, Hulk, Bruce Banner Hulk, was just a lumbering monster. He'd never been anything else. And I found him a bit dull, to be honest. I was a huge fan of the Bill Bigsby uh, Incredible Hulk TV show in the late 70s, early 80s. I still love the Lonely Man theme. And again, links in the show notes. If you don't know what the Lonely Man theme is, Oh my goodness, how did I get this old? But, you know, by the mid to late 80s, I'd kind of grown out of that. And I liked characters that had a bit of personality. And, you know, the Hulk just didn't. She-Hulk, though, she was interesting. Because she wasn't just a copy of the Hulk in the way so many female characters had been. Um, she was her own person. She was not a scientist. She was a lawyer. And most importantly, when she hulked out, she kept her intelligence. So you had a character with the raw power of the Hulk, but the ability to channel it intelligently. And to me, then and now, that was a much, much more appealing proposition. So we go to the Disney Plus trailer and it looks great. We're going to get a bit of Mark Ruffalo as the sort of Professor Hulk character he'd become by the end of Endgame. 
It's not clear exactly how Jennifer Walters, who is Bruce Banner's cousin, is going to get the dose of gamma that gives her the She-Hulk stuff. In the comics, she receives a blood transfusion from her cousin Bruce because reasons. I, I forget exactly why she needed a transfusion in the first place and why there wasn't any blood that wasn't gamma irradiated available, but that's early 80s Marvel for you. I suppose they might do that in the TV show. I actually kind of hope they're not that comics accurate and they find a different way to give her the dose of gamma because honestly, the blood transfusion thing doesn't really make sense. Why would you do that? America has problems with its healthcare system, yes, but it's quite capable of obtaining the right blood type when somebody needs a transfusion. So, yeah, I hope they find a better way of explaining away how Jen gets her powers, because let's be honest, who actually cares? I, there is this obsession that media has with origin stories for superpowers and stuff, and actually, we don't need it. What we're interested in is what the, what the character does once they've got their powers, usually. So, you know, skip to the good bit would be my suggestion. So, at so, some somehow, they'll give Jen her powers, and that's great. What else does the trailer show us? Well, it shows us that she is going to struggle to come to terms with those powers. We get kind of the expected shots of, you know, close-ups on a, on a sort of confused face as it begins to go green and the eyes change, which, if they lean into that, is kind of a nice tip of the head to the Bill Bixby, uh, Lou Ferrigno, Incredible Hulk series, where, you know, the first indication that Banner was changing from Banner into Hulk was uh, his eyes went white. Uh, they used white contact lenses, and it was the creepiest thing that, like, seven-year-old me had ever seen. So, yeah, that's a nice little tip of the hat to that, I think. But there's also very clearly going to be leaning in to the lawyer aspect of Jennifer Walters. She's, you know, clearly shown in the trailer as not just an attorney at law, but one that is clearly respected. We see her being, and, you know, spoilers for the trailer. Can you spoil a trailer? We see her being invited to lead the superhuman law division of presumably the law firm where she is we see her going into a sort of high security detainment facility presumably one designed to hold supervillains so you know there's all that going on and i like that you could do she-hulk as a pure action show but it looks like they're not going to and that is good we're obviously going to get monsters and stuff for her to fight. We see some of those in the trailer. We're also going to get her personal life. It, it looks as though we are. We see her with her friends. We see her in awkward social situations. And we see her glamming up She-Hulk, which is something that Jennifer does in the comics too, with, you know, the, the glitzy ball gowns and looking fantastic. So all of that, all of that, absolutely brilliant. Loving every inch of it. Now, am I going to have some problems? Yes, of course I am. When have you ever known me to be just absolutely taken with, with something and not have even the tiniest little thing to pick on? Here, I think I have to point out the CGI. Now, 
There is no real convincing way of doing Hulk without CGI in the modern world. Obviously, in the original Incredible Hulk TV show, Bill Bixby played... Well, Bill Bixby didn't play Bruce Banner because apparently the, the TV studio executives didn't think a hero could be called Bruce. Just think about that for a second. Batty, I know. So Bill Bixby played David Banner, but we'll let that slide. So Bill Bixby played Banner, and Hulk was played by uh, the bodybuilder Lou Ferrigno, who, you know, was probably the biggest man they could find. They literally spray-painted him green and put a fright wig on him and made him go, rah, a lot. And, you know, convincing enough for the late 70s. That would not fly now. So if you're going to make Tatiana Maslany, who's playing Jennifer Walters, into a six foot seven green woman, then CGI, it's going to be. And, you know, we've seen Mark Ruffalo as various incarnations of Hulk on the screen, CGI'd, looking amazing. The motion capture they've used really works and, you know, looks great. The motion captured CGI of Tatiana Maslany that we see in the trailer, yeah. <laughs> It's okay, but there is just a little bit of uncanny valley there. Doesn't look quite right. Now, this may be simply because the CGI effects are not fully finished yet. She-Hulk is three months away from hitting the screens on Disney+. Plus. They could easily still be doing stuff in post to improve that look. And so they've rolled the trailer with the effects as they stand now, but they'll be better in the fullness of time. I hope so. It has been pointed out to me by people who know much more about computer animation than I do, that making a convincing CGI Tatiana Maslany as She-Hulk is actually a harder job than making Mark Ruffalo a convincing CGI Hulk, because Tatiana Maslany and She-Hulk are girls, and they therefore have smoother skin than a man like Mark Ruffalo, who is, you know, always, he's quite rugged looking in a friendly sort of way. And, you know, he always looks like he might just need a shave in a minute. So you're dealing with a rougher surface. Apparently, that is easier to do in CG and make it look real than at the sort of smooth, more feminine face of uh, Tatiana Maslany. I don't know how true that is, because as I say, I'm no expert in this field. That does sort of make sense. It is the smoothness of the She-Hawk's face that looks kind of wrong. So, you know, that, that explanation makes a deal of sense to me. We'll, we'll have to see what happens. I, I think, I think, even if they don't get it sorted, I think I'll be able to rise above it if the story is good enough. But She-Hawk is a TV show and not a movie and therefore probably doesn't have the same kind of special effects budget that, you know, the Avengers movies had. I think I mentioned last week that I thought that some of the CG on the Egyptian gods in Moon Knight was just a little bit cheap looking. And, you know, that's not a criticism particularly, it's an observation. Of course, they don't have a movie budget. Fortunately, She-Hulk, of course, isn't always hulked out. So... I would imagine we're going to see a lot of Jennifer Walters 
being the non six foot seven green version of herself, and a lot more of her being the totally human version of herself who doesn't require any kind of CGI at all, because that will save significantly on the SFX budget. And because they can do that, I'm hopeful that they will have money to spend to make the scenes where she is hulked out look better than they look in the trailer. Overall, though, I have to say, I am absolutely thrilled by what I've seen so far. I approve. So if you haven't got a Disney Plus subscription, you've got three months or so to find a friend who does and then go around their house. Maybe take a pizza because you're going to want to watch this. It looks amazing. But that's it for now. I will not speak of Disney Plus again in this show. Probably. But I am going to stay on the subject of women. A bit of a rant, well, not really a rant, more of a sub-rant about something that happened that made me extremely angry. I then looked into a little bit more and I calmed down a bit, but it's still really important. And we're going to be going into this in some detail over the next few weeks. Some of you may know, I, I may have mentioned, for sure I've mentioned, that before I did the various things that I do now for a living, I was a teacher, specifically an English teacher, but I had an interest in science then, just as I do now. And education is still something that I take very seriously. My business, Destination Venus, has an education section. We go into schools, we talk to people about literacy, uh, we promote literacy and reading and all that kind of stuff. I've also been involved in science education in a small way. I ran the Rocket Club at the school I used to teach in. And before I bought the comic shop, I had a business called Rocket Man Adventures, which the idea was we would go into schools and build rockets and that kind of thing. It didn't really work out. The business model wasn't quite right. It doesn't really matter why it didn't work. The point is, I have an interest in this kind of stuff and I keep my eye on what's going on. So when it was reported that the government advisor, Catherine Burble Singh, had said that girls don't take physics because they dislike the hard maths, hard maths being in heavy air quotes, I was furious. Now, Burble Singh has been on my radar for a while. She's a head teacher of a free school, and I have, let's call them strong opinions about free schools. I'm not a fan for all kinds of reasons, which I won't go into now. This isn't a politics or an education podcast. Um, she's also the chair of the Social Mobility Commission, which advises the government on how to use education and other things to help people move up economically. And what she actually said was, this is a direct quote. Um, I just don't, I just think they don't like it. There's a lot of hard maths in there that I think they would rather not do. She went on saying, the research generally just says it's a natural thing. Now, the reason I have a problem with that, as reported, is because it's not true. It is the case that there is a real shortage of girls going on to study physics um, at GCSE and at A-level. And that is a problem. But I, looking at it and saying, oh, girls just don't like it, simply isn't the answer. And for a head teacher to make that comment, my blood pretty much boiled. Now, I've learned over the years that just getting angry about something you've seen in the media is not only not usually helpful, it's often based on erroneous information. So 
I actually have done some homework here. Now, Birbal Singh has defended herself on Twitter, um, saying that her point was um, a lot of girls in her school don't want to do A-level physics, and it's ridiculous to expect her to force girls to do A-level physics. And that's fair as a comment, but it's kind of a strawman argument, because she goes on to say, it is okay if we don't have an exact gender balance in all subjects. Well, yes, also true. It's never going to be a straight, I'm not quite sure what the ratio of men to women is now. I think it's 51% women in the UK at the moment. It's okay to not have a 51-49% mix in every single subject. But it's not okay if one group, whatever they are, whether that's girls or people of colour or people of a particular faith or whatever, it's not okay if one group is massively underrepresented. And at the moment, girls are massively underrepresented in physics. And it's not because they can't do it. And I don't think it's not because they don't want to do it. And Ms. Birbal Singh ought to know that. And the reason she ought to know it is because that's my observed experience. And I've never been a head teacher. I've never run a school. But I've been around enough schools to know that there are issues with girls in science that are nothing to do with ability and nothing to do with inclination. They're to do with socialisation. Allow me to elaborate. When I ran the Rocket Club, which was a physics-based organisation, we really did build rockets, proper rockets that used proper rocket fuel. Now, these were not sort of the air pressure type Nerf gun style rockets. These were proper pyrotechnics. There was a lot of physics involved. Um, there was a lot of maths involved. We had to work out trajectories. If we were going to calculate how high um, a rocket had flown from our observations, there had to be all kinds of calculations going on. So it can't be that the girls don't like the hard maths because they were doing it in my English classroom on a Wednesday lunchtime in their own time because they liked it. So I don't buy that. But I'm going to give an anecdote that I think perhaps tells us some of the problem. Um, there was a girl who was in the Rocket Club and she was a absolutely on fire science nerd. She was brilliant. She had a real brain for it, a real knack for it. And she was in year nine and it was the beginning of year nine and you know, we were starting to finalise decisions about GCSEs that she was going to take. Now, she wasn't in my form and I didn't actually teach her. She was just in my rocket club. So I wasn't involved in any of this. But, you know, we talk about the kids we know when we're talking to other teachers. and. Her form tutor came to see me to ask if I would speak to her because she came to a rocket club and maybe I had a bit of influence. She'd told him that she was not going to do all three sciences. She was going to do GCSE, chemistry, biology and physics rather than just taking the generic science qualification. And she Initially told him that that's what she wanted to do. She'd then gone back and said, no, she didn't want to do that. She'd had a chat with her family 
and her family had told her. I think it was her grandmother. It was quite an important figure in her life. I'm not quite sure. Um, as I actually, I won't go into it. her personal details. I'm not relevant. Um, I think it was her grandmother who said to her, "Oh, you don't want to be doing that. You're not ever going to get a job in science. Girls don't get jobs in science. You're going to be a hairdresser, aren't you? So, you know, there's no point. You know, don't. There's no point in that. Maybe do." something to do with childcare instead. And obviously, kids are influenced by their families and that's what she was going to do. And that made me sad. And, you know, I, I talked to this, this girl, her form tutor talked to her, her science teachers talked to her. Uh, we talked to the family on um, parents' evening. And in the end, she did take all three sciences and she got a stars in physics and biology, and I think she got B in chemistry. So I'm not buying the argument that girls don't like it. And I think just to say that is lazy and defeatist, frankly. And I don't expect that from a head teacher. Now, I do agree with the comment that Burble Singh makes about not forcing girls or indeed anybody else to do physics if they don't want to. But I do think it's important to find out why they don't want to and not make, the, make the, the, the assumption that it's because girls don't like maths. Because that is a stereotype that, in my experience, is not true. I mean, lots of girls don't like maths. Lots of boys don't like maths. I hate maths. I'm terrible at it. I'm not proud of that. But, you know, it's, it's not a gendered thing. So I'm not going to do the lazy thing, though, the knee-jerk thing of just coming on to the show and having a rant and ripping Ms. Burble's thing a new one. Because I don't think that's helpful. What I do want to do is explore the idea of women working in science. Now, this is problematic for me because I am not a woman and I don't work in science. So I know literally nothing about what I'm saying here, apart from the didactic uh, pedagogy bits that come with my knowledge of education. This is not my area. In any way. So, over the next few weeks, I'm going to be getting together some women who do work in science and asking them about what got them interested, about the work they do, and you know what they like about it, what, what's fulfilling about it. Because I do think it's important for people to see people like them doing the things they're interested in. I'm also going to be profiling some remarkable women of science because while i can get some women who work in science onto the show i marie curie a little bit beyond me okay i don't think she's going to be appearing for several reasons so we're going to be doing that and i'm going to leave you all to make your own judgments about ms burble singh and her contribution to this debate so i'm going to leave the subject here for now with just one quick request. If you are a woman who has a career in science, I'd like to hear from you. I'd like to talk to you about it. Uh, if you know a woman who has a career in science, likewise, I'd like to hear from you. Okay, I'm reaching out to a fair few people, but honestly, one volunteer is worth 10 pressed men. So uh, if you actually would like to come on the show and talk about it, I would love to hear from you. Just hit me up at info at destinationvenus.co.uk if you could put women in science in the subject line of the email 
that would help me immensely. So next week we'll have maybe not our first woman on the show to talk about her experiences working in science because I'm not quite sure how quickly I can get that scheduled. But we'll certainly have our first profile of a prominent female scientist that you should know all about, but perhaps haven't heard of. But now let's segue back into TV and talk about things that aren't on the Disney Plus streaming service. So if you've been paying attention, you've probably heard that Netflix is struggling a little bit, you know, in the grand scheme of things. It is losing subscribers, which is not great if your business model is, you know, a subscription one. So I was wondering when Netflix would start to take some action, and it looks as though they're beginning with geeks, which is nice, nice to be appreciated. If you are one of the people who has let their Netflix subscription slide, you might just want to get it for the month of June, because they appear to be pandering to us. June the 6th of the 10th will be officially Geek Week 2022 on Netflix. Yeah, yeah, they didn't give me a jingle. Sorry. Um, they're describing it as, and I'm quoting now, a virtual five-day extravaganza starting June the 6th to the 10th that will spotlight a galaxy of content from new and returning genre favourites. You know, in spite of the fact that it's lost all the Marvel stuff, Netflix does still have quite a geeky portfolio of stuff. You know, they've got Stranger Things, they've got Sandman... They've got all sorts of stuff to tempt geeks with. And it's kind of a no-brainer, really, to put it all together and make it an event. Because, you know, we're geeks. We like an event. Now, what this means for Netflix's long-term future is anybody's guess. I'm, I don't know that this kind of event-based marketing is a good strategy in the long run. Because if their aim is to recapture long-term monthly subscribers who just keep paying month after month after month after month, this isn't going to do that because surely if you're not already a regular Netflix subscriber, you're just going to subscribe for the month that the event you want is in. Binge the heck out of it and then move on. But perhaps that might be their new model because that's what people are doing anyway. Perhaps they're just responding to the situation as it is on the ground. I mean, at the moment, I am currently burning my way through Supernatural on Amazon Prime. I am, what, halfway through season four now? I've got another 11 seasons to go. I'm just going to be watching Amazon Prime for a while. So why would I need to pay for Disney Plus and Netflix that I'm not watching? So drop them, just pay for Amazon Prime, save myself a bit of money, not that much, but a bit, it all adds up. And then in June, when Geeking 2022 happens, or Geek Week, or whatever they're calling it. Drop Prime for a month, pick up Netflix. When She-Hulk comes out, drop Netflix, pick up Disney+. Plus. I think that's what people are going to be doing more of, because I think it's really very clear that streaming has changed the way people consume television. Yeah, In the old days, if you had Sky or Virgin Media or, or whatever satellite or cable service you were subscribing to, you were likely to stick with it for the long haul, simply because not doing so was a massive pain because there was contracts and paperwork and 
endless phone calls from people who wanted to make sure that you were sure you wanted to cancel your subscription and would a discount or an extra service or something keep you in and streaming doesn't do that streaming can't do that there is no contract you simply pay for a month and if you stop paying the service stops it really is that simple it's as simple as cancelling a direct debit that's all you have to do and people don't mind doing that online banking is easy enough it's quick and easy so particularly now i mean a couple of years ago you know i i had netflix i had prime i was looking forward to disney plus coming so i could get that and you know it was seven quid a month or whatever it was and it, it wasn't that big of a deal and if i didn't watch netflix for a whole month i didn't really feel like i'd forked out for something i wasn't using but now you know things are a little tighter money's a little scarcer people are being a bit more careful and i think people are now beginning to play the um switching around game much more and if netflix is seeing that happen perhaps this uh geeked week 2022 thing is an experiment in okay let's see what happens to our numbers in june do we get a spike in subscribers for that month do and then you know they should be able to, i'm sure they have the analytics to be able to say well okay did those people stick around or not if they did then brilliant maybe romance 2022 might be the next thing they do to try and pull in you know fans of that or you know documentaries or you know some other kind of themed event to pull people in if it's just a spike and people dive in for the month consume the the, the event content and then go away again which is what i think is likely to happen then you know, they would then have to look at doing events regularly. I mean, we'll see, but it's it's interesting to see that TV companies like Netflix are beginning to think about what the future looks like now that, you know, they're not the only game in town. I mean, Netflix was the first major streamer, certainly in the UK, and they were the only game in town for a long time. Their competition now is ferocious. I mean, Amazon Prime never really threatened them because, I mean, for a start, for a long time, Amazon didn't even tell you there was a TV channel that you could watch. Um, I discovered Amazon Prime Video by accident. Nobody advertised it to me. I got Prime because I wanted overnight delivery for something. And then I discovered, oh, right, I can watch stuff. Brilliant. Game changer in the UK, obviously, is Disney Plus because Disney owns nearly everything. I could very happily. And no, this isn't a paid advert for Disney Plus. And I know I said I wouldn't answer them again, but this is relevant. There's enough stuff. There's enough content on Disney Plus that Disney already own. So they don't even have to pay to make more. And they're not paying licensing rights because they own them. There's enough stuff on Disney Plus that I could happily just watch Disney Plus pretty much forever. Even if they didn't generate any more new content. That's an advantage that is massive you can't overstate that advantage netflix yes it does have some of its own content that it made but I, it's it's a drop in the ocean compared to what disney have you know now that they own not just disney but fox and all of that catalog you know they've got movies tv shows comedies dramas science fiction it's coming out of their ears they've got more than they know what to do with netflix 
is mostly relying on licensing stuff. And that is a constant drain on their finances. So they've got to keep generating the money in a way that Disney just doesn't. Disney can just sit there if it wants and just wait for all of its other competition to die off. You know, I mean, the streaming scene in the UK is a little bit more relaxed than the scene in the US. But you only have to look at the US to see that a lot of big companies are dropping streaming like a hot brick. CNN tried to do a streaming news service. It didn't last a month. Yeah, and a lot of companies, um, NBC and companies like that, are beginning to look at, you know, why, why are we doing this? And rather than having a, you know, sort of dedicated streaming channel, they're, they're going much more towards the sort of BBC iPlayer style. So we'll see how that pans out in the grand scheme of, you know, sort of TV streaming business stuff. It is something to keep an eye on because obviously increasingly streaming services like Netflix are where we're going to get our geeky content. So, you know, we need to keep an eye on it. I would miss Netflix if it went away completely, in spite of the fact that I don't subscribe to it every month anymore. So, so yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. I'll keep it under observation. And before we move away from Netflix and indeed away from television, I think it's got to be mentioned that we got a new little teaser trailer for Netflix's version of The Sandman this week. Now, I've mentioned this show before. I've mentioned how much I'm looking forward to it before. And I have to tell you that nothing about that has yet changed. I'm going to have an issue with the voice of Dream because I've had a voice for Dream in my head since I first read the comics in uh, the very, very early 90s. And the character they've got playing Dream doesn't sound like that. That was inevitable. There's nothing to be done. There really wasn't much in the trailer apart from that to get excited about. It looks brilliant. I mean, the, the, the visuals are stunning and suitably dark and gothic. What the trailer has given us is our first look at Gwendolyn Christie as Lucifer. Now, she was a controversial casting choice. A lot of people were outraged, outraged, I tell you, that they'd cast a woman as Lucifer. Eh, whatever. I, I, they couldn't possibly have cast the magnificent Tom Ellis, who plays Lucifer in the TV show Lucifer, as Lucifer, because the vibe is utterly wrong. I mean, Lucifer is very loosely based, the TV show Lucifer, this is, on the character of Lucifer from the Sandman books. Um, Lucifer got his own spin-off book, and that's what the TV show Lucifer is unbelievably loosely based on. I mean, to the point that it bears almost no resemblance at all. The vibe of that TV show simply would not work with the vibe of Sandman. So clearly, casting Tom Ellis was never a goer, even if he wanted to do it. And there really is no reason to make Lucifer male. I mean, I believe he's referred to as a he in the Bible, but Lucifer is a fallen angels, and angels do not have gender, as Alan Rickman famously demonstrated in the film Dogma. So let's not worry about it. Will Gwendolyn Christie make a good Lucifer? Yeah, I think so. I'm certainly quite taken with the first few shots we've had of her in the role. So, yeah, quietly confident about this. Dream doesn't sound right to me, but he looks right. Uh, Lucifer, 
bold choice, maybe, but looks good to me. So, you know, check, if you haven't seen it, check it out for yourself. You can find the trailer for Sandman and for Geeked Week 2022 on YouTube or over in the show notes for this edition of the show. That's www.destinationvenus.co.uk. Click on the blog button on the top bar of the homepage and look for Geeking Destination Venus episode 51. But now it's time to talk about... It's not going to be a long space section this week, but we haven't done one for a while, so I thought it was timely. Um, and we are mostly bound up with stuff to do with Ukraine, I'm afraid, because when one of the most important spacefaring nations decides to take its bat and ball home and not play nicely with everybody else in the way that Russia has done, there's going to be an effect. And, you know, when the rest of the world decides it doesn't want to play with Russia, there's going to be an effect on what we can do in space and consequences really really are beginning to ratchet up most of the negative consequences it has to be said are being felt by russia who were hugely dependent on commercial flight to provide revenue that would fund their scientific endeavors and you know that's pretty much gone away they pulled out unilaterally they decided to pull out uh, of launching Soyuz from French Guiana, that takes a lot of business away from Roscosmos that I'm not sure they'll get back. There are too many people now who are able to step in and say, oh, your Soyuz fell through. Well, here's a SpaceX Falcon 9. We can launch your satellite. And, you know, Russia may come out of this with no real commercial partners left. You know, nobody who wants to pay Russia to launch a satellite. That could be a real problem. Uh, they've also shot themselves massively in the foot by saying, right, we're not going to sell you any engines anymore. Because America and ESA were already moving away from using Russian-built engines. Back in 2014, uh, when there were sanctions imposed on Russia because of their uh, annexation of Crimea, which was, you know, if we're honest, the start of what we've got now. It was threatened by Russia that they might stop supplying rocket engines. And so Congress in the US took the step of actually saying, OK, fine, we can't rely on Russian engines. We're going to put a limit on the number that we buy. So they'd already cut down on sales, you know, external sales of their engines. Now, if they're saying, well, we're just not having any. Well, that's fine. I mean, they get to make their point. But ultimately... NASA, ESA, everybody else will find alternatives and Russia will discover that it has no clients left. And long term, that's going to be a problem. The war in Ukraine, the sanctions, they will not last forever. Sooner or later, Russia is going to want to come back into the international community. And it's making it difficult for itself coming back into the space community. And none of this is being helped by the current head of Roscosmos, uh, Dmitry Rogozin, who repeatedly makes sort of vague threats that Russia will withdraw from the ISS, for example. Now, that gets reported as Russia is pulling out of the ISS. That's not what's happening. In fact, from what I can tell, and I do pay attention to these things, day-to-day -day life on the International Space Station has not changed. The Russian and the non-Russian crew members are going about their day, doing their normal stuff, getting along perfectly civilly because they're grown-ups. And 
above all else, they're astronauts. And, well, astronauts and cosmonauts. And that's a community that is famously good at working together. They don't, they're above politics. They're above all of that because they have to be. And although there's, there's a lot of bluster from Dmitry Rogozin and others in the Roscosmos hierarchy, there doesn't seem to be any action behind it. It's pure bluster, as far as I can tell. And that makes sense because there is no way Russia is going to pull out of the International Space Station in the short term because there's nothing else for them to do in space. Where are they going to go? They can work with China, maybe, but China isn't going to want to be a partner in anything. China is doing its own thing. So Russia would be very much a visitor, a junior partner in anything it does with China. And I think we've seen that the pride of the Russian government is not going to allow that to happen. So they've got no other game to play. They are committed until 2024. Personally, I would be surprised if they didn't join the US in a desire to keep the ISS flying until 2030. So, you know, I do think that a lot of that is bluster. I mean, we'll see. Things could go, things could change awfully quickly. And if it wanted to, Roscosmos could cause quite a lot of discomfort for the astronauts on the station. It could. I don't think it will. And some of you might be wondering, well, why are we, you know, we don't like Russia anymore. We, we've got sanctions against Russia. Why are we still cooperating with them in the ISS? You know, what's that about? Why don't, why don't we pull out? And that's a good question, which deserves an answer. And the honest answer is, for the same reason Russia won't. That the whole structure of the ISS was deliberately designed to be completely interdependent. The US and ESA and the other international partners in the ISS cannot operate the International Space Station without Russia. Russia cannot operate the International Space Station without the rest of us. And it was designed to be that way. The ISS came out of the end of the Cold War. It was a symbol of a new world order, if you like. Now, that world order may well have gone now, but it was a celebration of a newfound sense of cooperation between nations in space. And so it was deliberately designed that if nations had beef with each other, the station would require them to keep working together. And that's exactly what it's doing. Now, it's proving a little inconvenient, let's put it that way, at the moment. But this is a feature, not a bug. It was supposed to be this way if things got rough. And so far, I've got to say it's working. The actual people who work and run things at NASA and ESA and JAXA and the Canadian Space Agency and all of the other space agencies around the world and at Roscosmos, they're still working together. They're still communicating. Mission control for the ISS in Houston and in Star City outside Moscow. Still communicating perfectly civilly. It's all working the way it's supposed to. So if you see the headlines uh, of doom and gloom and pending disaster for the ISS, don't believe it. Russia is making a lot of noise right now because there's nothing else it can do. But that's all it is. And I would be very surprised if you went any further. Uh, more vulnerable are smaller projects like ESA's Rosalind Franklin Mars rover 
which was supposed to be launching in a couple of months aboard a Russian Soyuz rocket. Now, clearly, that's not happening. Even if ESA was prepared to do business in that way with Russia right now, and it isn't, Russia right now is not prepared to launch European space missions. So that's dead in the water. And the problem with that is going to space still isn't routine. It's not like missing a bus. You can't just hop on the next one. And going to Mars isn't routine either. You can't just go when you feel like it. You have to go when the launch window is right. And, you know, the planets are in the right places in relation to each other because everything in space is moving. There isn't an available rocket right now that's going spare that can launch the Rosalind Franklin rover to hit its current launch window. So it ain't going this year. It's just not. And ESA have been making noises to the effect that the Rosalind Franklin rover might not now go until 2028. That's a delay of six years. And the problem with that is that NASA and ESA had started to get a bit integrated in their Mars missions. And NASA needs Rosalind Franklin on Mars doing the stuff it's supposed to be doing before it can do some of the stuff it wants to do in the future. So this delay with Rosalind Franklin is going to cause a delay with some of NASA's Mars planetary science missions. Now, in the grand scheme of things, you might think, well, OK, it's a bit inconvenient, but what can you do? There's a war on. I think the consequences might be a little more far reaching than that. We're seeing with the International Space Station that cooperating with others, whilst it's all great if we're singing Kumbaya and holding hands, it can be a problem when there's a problem between nations. And we're also seeing with the loss of the immediate launch of the Rosalind Franklin Mars rover, cooperating with nations, integrating your space programs in the way that NASA had done with this, can also cause problems if something out of your control goes wrong. So we might start to see, I hope we don't, we might start to see nations following China's approach much more. Space agencies kind of saying, right, this is what we're doing. And you know what? If you want to contribute a little bit, fine. But you're not having any of the major stuff. All the core stuff we're going to do in-house because then we're in control. And if we start to see that, it would be understandable. But it takes away one of the reasons for doing space in the first place. Even during the Cold War, space was about international cooperation. In the 70s, when America and Russia were building up massive stockpiles of nuclear arms and occasionally sort of making threatening gestures each, at each other. When the USA and Russia, Soviet, well, the Soviet Union as it was then, were fighting proxy wars with each other in Vietnam and Afghanistan. We had things like the Apollo-Soyuz test project, where NASA astro astronauts and uh, Russia, uh, Soviet cosmonauts were meeting in space. They were docking. Soyuz capsules with Apollo capsules to see how maybe future space stations could work as long ago as that, way before the Cold War ended. And all of that culminated in the magnificence of the ISS. And now all of that cooperation is beginning to fall apart. And I really hope they can pull it back together again, because we are losing something amazing if we lose it. We really, 
really are. And on that depressing note, let's be a bit more optimistic and turn our gaze to the heavens. The planetary action is still depressingly early morning, but it is also still spectacular. If you can get a clear morning, Venus is ridiculously bright, easily the brightest thing in the star. Just to the right of Venus, you've got Jupiter. Not quite as bright, but you get a pair of binoculars or, a, or even a small scope on that bad boy, and Jupiter just still looks amazing. Then a little, little higher, slightly higher in the sky, you've got Saturn, which is just an amazing thing to look at. And, um, a sort of yellowish dot to the naked eye. But again, you get a really good pair of binoculars or a small telescope on that. And Saturn is a real sight to see, even if you can't really make out the rings very well because they're aligned in the wrong direction. Saturn is still a beautiful planet to look at through a telescope. Uh, and then finally, we still have the reddish dot of Mars, which for all the Mars excitement in planetary science, you know, for all the Mars rovers and talks of sending people to Mars and all of that, Mars is still quite a boring planet to look at. Yeah, I mean, without magnification, Mars is a little reddish dot. With magnification, Mars is a bigger reddish dot. Rocky planets, they're really not that interesting to look at if they're a long way away. I mean, the moon's a good a good thing to look at. Uh, and if you can put a telescope on the moon, even if there aren't any planets in the sky at the moment at night, the moon is always worth looking at because it's beautiful. It's very bright. The shadows are very well defined. So particularly when the moon's not full, if you look at the Terminator, Terminator line, on the moon, the line between the day and night sides, the contrasts you see there mean you can make out all kinds of features on the moon. So the moon, amazing to look at. The other rocky planets, forget about it. You can look at Venus through a telescope if you like. It goes from being a bright white dot to a big right shape. Sometimes a crescent depends on the phase it's in, but and, you know, OK, maybe you can look at the phases of Venus. Maybe that's interesting to look at. Uh, Mars, not fun. Not fun at all to me. Too far away to make out any kind of features unless you've got a ridiculously powerful scope. So, you know, I would focus on Jupiter and Saturn if you're looking in the morning through a lens. And uh, if you want some nighttime astronomy right now, the moon is your best bet. In fact, if I can find a decent one, I'll uh, stick a moon map into the show notes so that you can at least have some chance of knowing what you're looking at. There you go, bonus. And anyway, I guess that is it for space. Oh, what's left to talk about in the world of geek this week? Well, quite a lot that we're not going to have time to address because we're running out of time. Uh, it has emerged this week that there are issues with Elon Musk's takeover of Twitter, which I guess were to be wholly foreseen. It doesn't mean that the deal won't go through, but it's certainly not going to be completely plain sailing. And, you know, if it becomes too much of a hassle, there is the possibility that Musk, who is quite mercurial, really, may just decide it's not worth the aggravation and call it off. I don't know. It depends what he wants to do with Twitter. I mean, Twitter's never made money, 
So that's not what he's after. I think he's genuinely going after the ability to have a platform that is his. And if that's the case, I don't think any amount of problems with getting the deal through are going to stop him in the end. Because so, again, you know, it's a question of watching this space and seeing what happens. Obviously, the doom and gloom around the consequences of Musk acquiring Twitter continue to be a pretty hot topic on Twitter itself. The general hubbub does seem to have died down. And uh, I guess people are waiting now to see whether he'll get it and what he'll do when he does. He has said he will remain within the laws of the various countries where Twitter operates, which means it can't be the the totally unbound free speech platform that he's claiming that he wants because there is no absolute free speech in any country in the world. Yeah, uh, the, the Twitter thing remains very much in the air. But on the subject of social media and being sociable in general, let's take another quick look at the Geek Community Notice Board. And you will notice as you look at this virtual board that you are almost certainly too late to go to tonight's geeky movie quiz at the Everyman Cinema in Harrogate. If you are listening to this in the podcast feed, the instant that it drops, you may have about half an hour or so to get there. If you're listening on Harrogate Community Radio, then it's already started. And if you are listening later on, in the podcast feed or on HCR on Listen Again, then, yeah, you've missed it. Which is a shame, because there are some fantastic prizes to be had. I know, because I donated some of them. But if you missed that, do not despair. Because the Geek Pub Quiz, the original, the quiz that started the whole thing, is back at Major Tom's this Sunday. The 22nd, I think it is, of May. It's this Sunday. 7.30, Major Tom's Social. Again, hosted by King of Geeks and Queen of Geeks, Stephen Hill and Dempster themselves. I don't know where they find the time to write as many quizzes as they do, but their quizzes are always exceptional and it's always a great night. So if you are free, you have time to get down to that. Major Tom's is one of the coolest bars in town and uh, the Geek Book Quiz is one of the best nights out in town. So if you missed tonight's geeky movie quiz, hosted also by Stephen Hill, then Sunday night is your next chance. And that is it. Nothing else geeky is happening in Harrogate that I've been told about this week. So there you go. Also, nobody's given me any geeky stuff that's happening nationally, apart from the Netflix thing, which we've talked about already. But if you have a geeky event that you want to get some promotion for, just tell me. Info at destinationvenus.co.uk. I am more than happy to give you a plug. Uh, if you're supporting a good cause, anything like that, this is not a paid-for service. Just let me know and I will promote it because I want to spread the geek around. That email address, info at destinationvenus.co.uk, is also the place to go to if you have anything you'd like me to cover, uh, anything you'd like to add, any suggestions, complaints, criticisms, congratulations, anything like that. Info at destinationvenus.co.uk is the place to send them. It would be helpful if you could put geek, either very clearly what the subject is or geeking with Destination Venus or geeking in the subject line. And if you are getting in touch with uh, information about uh, women who work in science, uh, women in science in the subject line would also help immensely. 
And so that's just about it. We will be back next week with the first of our profiles of women in science, possibly with some input from an actual woman working in science, and obviously all of the usual geeky news, views, and general stuff that I like to yatter on about for an hour every week. All that remains is for me to tell you that Geeking with Destination Venus is a copyright feature of Venus Rising Media and is engineered here in Harrogate and is available as a podcast and also on Harrogate Community Radio. Links to where to find all of that are in the show notes, although if you're listening to me tell you that, you already know how to find the show. So it might be a bit redundant. And actually, while we're on the subject of Harrogate Community Radio, I would just like to give a big thank you to everyone who works so hard at the station. It really is a privilege to be a part of an effort like this that is purely volunteer driven. No one's making any money. Everyone's doing it for the love of it. It's a great thing to be part of. And you can help if you are listening on Harrogate Community Radio. Spread the word. Tell your friends about it. Get Let's get some more people listening to the good stuff that's available on this station. And I'm really not talking about me here. I'm talking about the actual talent. Shows like Deep Breath and I Watched a Movie and, and all the other amazing stuff, the, the brilliant music shows we've got. Let people know. And if you're listening on the podcast feed, and this is the only show that goes out on Harrogate Radio that you've heard, check out Harrogate Community Radio. It's available online. You don't have to be in Harrogate. You can hear it wherever you are in the world and get a little bit of Harrogate goodness wherever you are. And as I said, links to all of that are in the show notes. So go check those out at www.destinationvenus.co.uk. Oh, actually, no, just before I go, uh, just to answer a question that I was asked, somebody did email us at info at destinationvenus.co.uk to ask what I thought about Doctor Strange and wondering why I hadn't reviewed it on the show. Um, I haven't reviewed it because I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it because I haven't had time to go and see it. Uh, I haven't seen The Batman either yet, which is why I haven't reviewed that. Uh, by all accounts, they're both brilliant. Uh, you can still get tickets for Doctor Strange at The Everyman and other cinemas which are available. I recommend you do. I, I will be doing that as soon as I can. And obviously, if I manage to do that in a timely fashion, I will let you have a review as and when I've seen it. But for right now, I will be reviewing from a position of complete ignorance. Some of you might argue that's what I do anyway. but yeah, I haven't had a chance to see it. Sorry, folks. Uh, although I can't really believe that anybody was hanging around waiting to see what I thought of it before they went to check it out for themselves. Although if you've seen it, I'm always interested in your opinions. So, you know, let me know. Info, destinationvenus.co.uk. But we have to leave it there. With just a minute of our hour remaining, it's time to sign off. So we will be back next week. We look forward to seeing you. Thank you for your kind attention this week. Have yourselves a fantastic week between now and the next time we all gather around our devices to go geeking once again. And so we do. Be kind to yourself. Be kind to everybody else. Stay safe. And above all else, stay geeky. Take care, folks. We'll see you soon. We didn't ask for this but you still got to deal with it. Your transformations are triggered by anger and fear. Those are like the baseline of any woman just existing. Oh. Bruce, how do you feel like if I don't transform, I'm going to die? Yes, yes, yes.